The English word cohesion was first spotted in the seventh decade of the 17th century, that is 1670. According to its etymology, the word implies the act or state of sticking together, as it is the result of the combination of Latin terms com, which stands for together, and herere, which stands for to adhere, stick. Today, the very same word, cohesion, has become part of the policy vocabulary of the European Union. How? Well, hands up, who has never heard of cohesion policy? All right, allow me a very, very brief explainer here. I swear, it's not going to last longer than one minute. Cohesion policy is the main investment policy of the European Union and it targets all regions and cities in the European Union in order to support job creation, business competitiveness, economic growth, sustainable development, improvements to citizens' quality of life. Currently, for the period 2021-2027, 392 billion, almost a third of the total EU budget, has been set aside for cohesion policy. Cohesion policy is delivered through specific funds, the European Regional Development Fund, or ERDF, the Cohesion Fund, CF, the European Social Fund Plus, ESF Plus, the Just Transition Fund, JTF. And then there is the territorial dimension to it, meaning cohesion policy provides special care and investment tools to territories to address specific issues. Border regions and cross-border cooperation, urban areas, remote, islands, mountainous or sparsely populated areas, outermost regions. All right, all right. Just one more thing. The bulk of cohesion policy funding is concentrated on less developed European countries and regions in order to help them to catch up and to reduce the economic, social and territorial disparities that still exist within the EU. So that's it. I know this was pretty accurate, but most of all pretty boring. Boring. Yeah. So listen, I will cut it short. This is a podcast about the EU's cohesion policy, but we decided to give it a twist. We decided to give it a story, many stories actually. This podcast is a storytelling podcast about the EU cohesion policy and what it does, how it affects people, how it changes lives. Welcome to Meanings of Cohesion, a podcast exploring the impact of the EU's cohesion policies on our lives. My name is Alexander Damiano Ricci. In this and the next four episodes, you will listen to stories from four different regions and countries, Northern Ireland, Cyprus, Slovenia and Slovakia. More specifically, you will listen to five reportage stories produced by the reporters of the online magazine Arab.eu. Right after that, I will speak to Quentin Ariès, who is the editor-in-chief of Arab.eu. He will provide us with an overview of other projects financed by the EU cohesion policy in the very same country or region of the given reportage story. So much so good for the intro, but let's get to it. To begin this journey into the meanings of cohesion, we bring you to Northern Ireland. Talk to you after the reportage. Northern Ireland, Peacework in Progress by Amanda Ferguson and Bernadette McAllister. 
For 30 years, Northern Ireland was a scene of violent confrontations between Unionists in favour of remaining within the United Kingdom, who were mainly Protestant, and Republicans in favour of reunification of the two Irelands, who were largely Catholic. It was at this troubled time that Peter Sheridan became a policeman. Today, at a time when Brexit has rekindled certain tensions, he is now convinced that the economy and cooperation are the keys to a better future north and south of the border. At the age of 16, a bit of guidance from a Catholic priest would set Peter Sheridan on a long career in policing. When he retired more than three decades later, Sheridan didn't believe a move into peacebuilding was a million miles apart from his former career. The 63-year-old man who is now carrying boxes into the new headquarters of the NGO Cooperation Ireland in Belfast served in Northern Ireland during and just after the Troubles, the 30-year-long sectarian and violent conflict opposing Irish Republican and British Loyalists paramilitaries, and some UK state forces. At stake, the status of Northern Ireland and discrimination against the Catholic minority. The conflict claimed over 3,500 lives and left thousands of people injured. It officially ended in 1998 with the signature of the Good Friday Agreement. So why did a Catholic teenager, who at the time was mainly interested in local girls and football superstar George Best, want to police in a conflict-ridden jurisdiction like Northern Ireland. Surrounded by boxes, Peter recounts his journey from policing to peacebuilding. I kind of fell into it. My careers advisor was also my Irish teacher, a Catholic priest from County Monaghan. He was either looking to get rid of me or was a visionary. He talked to me about joining the police cadets. In 1976, if your teacher told you to do something, you did it. And if your teacher was a priest... You definitely did. The Met Police in Britain were not recruiting at the time, and An Garda Shihana, the police service in the Republic of Ireland, didn't reply to his application. So Peter joined the Royal Ulster Constabulary in 1976. And then the Police Service of Northern Ireland, or PSNI, this service was created in 2001 after the Good Friday Agreement because it was recognized that policing in the region needed to be reformed. Regarding the possible dangers to him of joining the police in the 1970s, who were viewed by some as legitimate targets by the Irish Republican Army and other paramilitaries, Peter remembers his grandmother saying at the time, if he was born to be shot, he'll never be drowned. He explains, she was essentially saying, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And after 32 years, she turned out to be right. Peter was stationed in Derry from 1978 until 2003, meaning that the majority of his career was during the era of daily shootings and bombings which left thousands dead and thousands more injured. The trauma of that time and the intergenerational trauma that has flowed from it is still felt acutely today. Concerning the reality of policing a divided place during a time of conflict, Peter is honest. I was naive at 16. It wasn't what you would expect policing to be. I didn't really understand the politics of what was happening. On his retirement from the Police Service of Northern Ireland, or PSNI, in 2008, Peter Sheridan was Assistant Chief Constable, 
and the most senior-ranked Catholic officer policing in a society that has an extremely complicated relationship with policing. For every section of society to have confidence in policing, police forces needed to reflect the community they serve, which was not the case at all at the time. According to the 2021 Northern Ireland census, 42.3% of the country identified as Catholic and 37.3% as Protestant or other Christian. And Catholics serving as police officers now represent around a third of the workforce. However, two decades ago, it was only 5%. Being a minority in the police force and not wanting to lose his sense of self was a continuing theme throughout Peter's career. He recalls, I was in an organization with a 95% Protestant culture. People could lose their identity or their faith, and I didn't want to. On one of the occasions that Peter was told his life was directly at risk, he understood that he could not continue to attend his usual church service for Mass on Sunday. During the 1980s, the guards intercepted a plan for a bomb under my car. I went to see Bishop Daly, and he told me I could go to Mass any time of the week, any day, he recalls. So the Irish Catholic police officer ended up going to the British Army camp on a Sunday. Being in the RUC didn't prevent him from retaining his identity and culture, nor from doing his job. Peter finished his policing career aged 48, after being in charge of murder investigations, organized crime and intelligence. I was looking for a different career and opted for peacebuilding. In 2008, he joined Cooperation Ireland, the peacebuilding charity founded in 1979 to promote reconciliation between divided communities in Northern Ireland and understanding between people across the two jurisdictions on the island. To reach that goal, Cooperation Ireland works on a range of cross-border and all-island projects in areas such as education, women's leadership, youth programs and community and economic development. The former policeman is aware that it might appear to be an unusual move, but 15 years on, this diplomatic man is convinced he made the right choice in joining the NGO. Peter has always argued that policing should be about peacebuilding and communities, and thus thinks his two careers should not be a million miles apart. The demographics and political landscape of Northern Ireland are changing. It is at peace but still contested between those who want to maintain Northern Ireland's place in the UK and those who wish to reunify with the rest of Ireland following the partition over 102 years ago. The peace process means a lot to the international community too. The EU has been central to investment in peacebuilding and infrastructure projects. For Peter, the EU did an enormous amount, but Brexit showed how polarized this place still was. Brexit has accelerated ongoing conversations about the future constitutional position of the jurisdiction. In other words, on whether Northern Ireland should stay part of the UK. The 1998 Good Friday Agreement Peace Accord, brokered by the US between the British and Irish governments, included a provision allowing for a referendum to take place on the constitution so that in the future, a majority of the people could either vote for the status quo or to create a new, reunited Ireland. Over the course of his career, the former policeman has witnessed society changing, but not enough. A large amount of peace, the absence of violence, is done. But that is different to reconciliation. 
Peter believes that when it comes to a post-conflict society, there is responsibility on us all to accept there isn't just one narrative of the past. Today, different narratives may differ on who is responsible for the conflict, why it carried on for so long, how it could have concluded sooner, and what happens in the future. Looking back, Peter admits he's not the same naive person he was at 16 years of age and urges everyone to take time to look at things differently in life as you go down the years. If you only have your own story, then how much of that is about a shared place? The work of Cooperation Ireland has the seal of approval from the President of Ireland and the UK royal family. Through quiet conversations, the charity was key to arranging one of the iconic global images of peace process reconciliation, a 2012 handshake between the Queen and the former IRA commander and Sinn Féin Deputy First Minister Martin McGuinness at the Lyric Theatre in Belfast. It took enormous courage on both sides to do it. It wasn't that Martin McGuinness was in favour of the monarchy, but he recognised by reaching out that it was an acknowledgement of the unionist community. Peter comments. It is not the job of Cooperation Ireland to put two fields together, but it is our job to put people together, Peter argues, and they get the job done, sometimes at a national level, but first and foremost at a local level. On the 9th of May, the organization gathered scores of organizations from north and south of the Irish border for its social innovation conference at Crumlin Road Gaul, the former prison of Belfast. The event is part of the Future Innovators Project, funded by the Peace 4 program and managed by the special EU programs body, including resourcing from the Executive Office in Northern Ireland and the Department of Rural and Community Development in Ireland, and costs just under 1 million euros. The aim of the project is to help communities from Belfast, Derry and Donegal to develop plans to improve the social economy using social innovation. Working with businesses is an important part of Cooperation Ireland's activities. It doesn't matter if it is social enterprise or high-tech jobs. It gives the place a different feel. Cooperation Ireland's chief executive says, Peter believes passionately that if you want a peaceful society, then you need a vibrant economy. Their part is creating jobs and opportunities for young people. And our part is reconciliation. You need both to create the conditions for a peaceful society, he explains. In the fourth-floor Victorian building, which hosted numerous political prisoners during the Troubles, representatives of 14 organizations from Belfast, Derry and Donegal are now sharing their experiences of setting up community interest companies through a series of workshops and masterclasses. Among them, Justin McMinn has just returned from the Homeless World Cup in California, where the Northern Ireland team, including players from Syria, Ghana, Yemen and Iran, achieved their best-ever result by reaching the quarterfinals. It was incredible. Our goal was to be in the top 16, and we finished in the top eight. Our hearts were broken by Portugal, who beat us on penalties, he says. The 38-year-old man from Belfast founded Street Soccer, Northern Ireland, 15 years ago, after working in a homeless hostel and seeing the physical and mental health benefits of sport. Now 14 staff work on men's football, women's football and learning disability football projects. And each week around 200 people are participating in programs in Bangor, Belfast, Coraline, Derry and Downpatrick. 
It gives players structure and routine, a sense of family and a network of friends. It also helps us identify needs around housing and employability. The organization helps people with their first month's rent and getting set up in homes. They also fund football coaching and referee badges. Justin is passionate about his job and the value of sport. It is very rewarding work, seeing the change in people's lives, he says, smiling. Initiatives like street soccer, targeting marginalized or poor communities, are highly encouraged by Cooperation Ireland. According to Peter, a lot of people in working-class communities have not had the opportunities they deserve. It is critical in a peaceful society. You have to have hope, he argues. As an example, Peter mentions the young people who were throwing petrol bombs at officers at Easter in Derry during a Republican parade a few days before the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. If they could buy their own cars and holidays, Peter is convinced they would not be doing this. You don't have to have the wealth of golfer Rory McIlroy. You need a good standard of living and to be self-sufficient, the chief executive of Cooperation Ireland explains. Receiving thousands in funding from across Ireland, the EU and elsewhere helps make a difference to communities, but organizations are working in an era of stretched budgets, so they need to generate cash flow for themselves. Running an organization such as Street Soccer Northern Ireland is not always easy. Grants don't cover everything, so you have to have a pot of money to be able to use. You had to think of ideas of how to generate income to cover gaps and debts that build up over the course of the year. Justin explains. Recently, the organization that received £8,000 through the Future Innovators program decided to launch a social enterprise van removals business. The passionate director is proud of the results. We got a van and now do paid dump runs and house, office and hostel removals. Since last November, we got our own building in Botanique and have been able to take furniture and clothes donations. So now we also have a charity shop and are developing our website, he adds. In Derry, the Northwest Cultural Partnership Charity followed the same path. The organization, located in Newgate Arts and Culture Center in the Fountain area, home to the small Protestant, Unionist, Loyalist community in the city, which has a majority Catholic, Nationalist, Republican population, also benefited from a £8,000 grant. Just like Justin and Peter, Kyle, the business executive of the charity, is committed to making his community stronger and more prosperous. The 36-year-old man with a background in community development and accountancy clearly understands the importance of growing the economy to strengthen the capacity of the local population. The charity, which does a lot of cross-community and cross-border work, programs and projects has found a new way to generate income and pursue its mission at the same time, changing misconceptions and preconceptions and allowing people to express themselves and build relationships. We looked at getting a recording studio done up to help the community and give people the ability to express themselves. And then it could be rented out and generate income and help communities, Kyle explains. The main thing for us is creating a vibrant space where it's safe. The knock-on effect of that makes changes in how people think. We need to extend that. You can see what we do is making a difference. The people we work with have more confidence. On the other side of the Irish border, in the village of Termon, near Letterkenny in County Donegal, 
Majella Orr is also enthusiastic. This warm and caring woman used to work in an insurance and estate agency, but made a career change into community development as her family grew. She is now manager at the Krybin Community Enterprise Center, providing childcare and after-school services, sports facilities, meeting rooms, and adult education classes. Lately, together with her 25 staff, she came up with a new idea, grassroots bike hire business and cycle ride courses for children in cycling proficiency and safe cycling practices. Termon is a very rural location, so does not have the footpaths you find in cities. Therefore, knowing how to be safe on the roads is important. We have a lot of displaced people in our local schools, from Ukraine, Somalia and elsewhere. So teaching them about the rules of the road in Ireland is so important. As a parent also concerned about reducing carbon footprints, Magella Orr hopes that thanks to this activity, kids will cycle more in their life. The bustling centre at the heart of the village has been a focal point of the community since it opened. We had lots going on in the winter, but in the summer nothing was happening. So cycle ride courses came about as another way of generating income, explains the manager of the centre enterprise that received 3,000 euros through the Future Innovators program. And the feedback we get is fantastic, Madela says with joy. Cycling is one of those things, it does not matter where you are from or what language you speak, kids all enjoy cycling. As the event at Crumlin Road Jail comes to an end, Peter is pleased with the success of all the organizations it is working with and is thrilled the Future Innovators event allowed groups to learn more from each other and about how to develop their ideas. I always get a buzz from those events. Bringing together groups from the far end of Donegal to the people in Belfast, it does your heart good. They are good news stories. You know progress is being made in this place. Real cooperation in progress. Hi, Quentin. Welcome to Meanings of Cohesion. It's great to have you with us. Hello, Alexander. I thank you for having me. So Quentin, you will be joining us along these five episodes of Meanings of Cohesion. You'll help us to look a bit beyond the big story of each episode, right? And in fact, you will tell us about what else is going on thanks to EU cohesion funds in the given countries. But before that, I would like to give you the chance to introduce yourself. So who is Quentin Arias? My name is Quentin. I am French. I am a journalist in Brussels and I am the editor-in-chief of the media NGO Babel International, which and Babel International has been working with Eleb, which is a new pan-European media which just launched to produce a series of impactful solution journalism stories from Ireland, Slovakia, Slovenia and Cyprus about how, you know, commission new lights into a cohesion policy. Great. So let's dig into European Union cohesion policies and more specifically in Ireland and Northern Ireland. We have been hearing, thanks to the voice of Gail Rago and the writing of the reporters about this beautiful project, yet cohesion policies in this region don't stop with that project. So can you tell us what else is going on actually? Like for this story, like we focused on a region which is called Donegal. So if you take a look at the map of Ireland, like you will see, like Northern Ireland in the north, like takes like basically all the side of the island, like beside, you know, a little stretch of land. And this is where Donegal is. And this is what we have been focusing on. So for Donegal County, so in Ireland, we really see that EU funds are actually not only funding like motorways or maybe not funding only very big projects, but also like 
impact projects which actually makes maybe more sense to like local communities. So, for example, like what like the like the EU uh, and the regional funding has been very keen, you know, at for example developing sustainable tourism. I don't know, maybe like yourself, like you would like to take a bike ride into Connemara or to Ireland, maybe next summer, and it can be a nice way. Uh, it can be, you know, and basically this is also funded by the EU. Another thing which I think can be super interesting is they have put a lot of efforts on trainings of young people and even if, for example, on cooking. So like right now, you can even see like in universities or, for example, cooking centers in Ireland, like they are funded by the EU and cohesion policy, which I found was very interesting. Thanks for the overview. I was wondering if there is one specific project linked to the themes you have mentioned right now we could look into more specifically. Yeah, let me go back maybe to echo the stories that we have just listened to about like uh, the Peace Plus program. So another thing I think, like the Donegal Youth Service, I've been really keen, especially during the Brexit talks and after Brexit happened, really to continue to have ongoing projects with youngsters on both sides of the borders. So, for example, like in terms of youth service, it means like volunteering work on both sides of the border. It means training programs. It means helping, you know, young people to set up their businesses. Because like regardless on whether you are on the border of Ireland, you are faced with the same issues. Like you are far from the bigger city centers. It can be a challenge, like if you don't have a car, if we don't have, you know, uh, those kind of uh, benefits, just actually to, to actually to even stay into those regions. So what I thought was very interesting is just how, you know, we continue, regardless of Brexit, to continue to have like those kind of projects and how, you know, if we can even increase them to just to support both communities on both sides of the border. Well, fantastic. Thank you for your insights. And uh, I guess we'll catch up with the next episode then. Okay. Thank you very much. And this is it for the first episode of Meanings of Cohesion, a podcast exploring the impact of the EU's cohesion policy on our lives. This podcast is part of Europod, a podcast network home to captivating stories from across Europe and quality information on the most pressing issues of our time. Meanings of Cohesion is a collaboration between Europod and Arab.eu, which publishes long-form reportage stories from across Europe in English, French and Italian. The reportage story you listened to was published on Arab.eu where you can also find beautiful accompanying shots. This podcast is produced as part of Utopia, a project financed by the European Commission, which aims at raising awareness of the concrete benefits offered by cohesion policy in Europe. Utopia is a project led by the Assembly of the Regions and Babel International, an NGO based in Paris. The producer, host and scriptwriter of this podcast is me, Alexander Damiano Ricci. Reportage stories are read and brought to you by Gail Rego, Mixing, editing and mastering by Jeremy Bocquet. Original soundtrack by Thomas Kosberg.